or um, or you can turn in your Bible to the the last of uh, Revelation chapter three, the last part of that chapter. So it's it's the last of Jesus' seven letters to the churches. <clears throat> so this is the end of the easy part of the book of Revelation. So uh, tune in again next week as we switch to an entirely different sermon series. <laughs> no, actually, uh, <clears throat> the rest of the book, all the strange visions that John sees, uh, really just brings to life the themes that we've seen up to this point, like uh, like dramatic illustrations of what Jesus has already said to the churches here in these first few chapters. <clears throat> so I guess there's probably nothing for us to be afraid of <clears throat> uh, as we go forward in the book of Revelation. Anyway, uh, this morning we're going to hear what Jesus has to say to those whom he describes as uh, as revoltingly lukewarm. It's the spiritually tepid. So the, the main problem with someone who suffers from spiritual tepidity, he says, is uh, is the complete lack of any sense of spiritual need or desperation. And the main problem is when you don't know you've got that problem. And so if that describes you, you probably wouldn't know it. Uh, so because Jesus loves you, he's going to use his punch you in the guts voice as he as he uh, writes this letter. So let's pray, then we'll uh, read the, the passage. <clears throat> Father, we know that every good gift comes from you. Even the hard-hitting words of Jesus like we have here, uh, they're for our good. They're a good gift to us. And so we pray by your spirit that you would make us vulnerable so that Christ's word lands squarely and wins us and wakes us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> and to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> as with the other letters in uh, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses primarily the pastor or the gospel messenger of the church, and the, the pastor's spiritual problems often run off, uh, rub off on the church. His blind spots will often be their blind spots. So it makes sense that Jesus addresses the one who represents the people, who also has a position to influence the people in a new direction. So when Jesus calls the pastor to repent, he's probably also calling a lot of people in the church to repent. 
uh, here in Laodicea, it sounds like this is the urgent universal message because Jesus doesn't spend any time commending the pastor or commending the church for what they're doing well. And he doesn't say, well, there are still a few of you who are faithful, as he's done in other letters. Uh, he just warns and pleads and calls for repentance. Apparently, he didn't get the memo that if you're going to criticize someone, you, ha- you have to offer them first 10 compliments. <laughs> um, so either we can judge Jesus as not sharing our modern sensibilities, or we can take him at his word when he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So he loves his people, and he knows how to show his love for his people, and his call to repentance is the perfect demonstration of his love, even if it doesn't seem to us like he's being very nice. And that's one of the hardest things about the Christian life, this disciplinary aspect of Jesus's character. It's of God's own character, really. Uh, We live with a God who doesn't just allow us to live easy, comfortable lives because he loves us, because he wants us to know him, because he wants us to share in his own divine life and in his own glory. So here Jesus introduces himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness Basically, he's saying that he's someone who knows what he's talking about, and you should definitely listen up. And what is it that the Lord Jesus knows? He says in verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, it sounds to us like Jesus might be saying, so I wish you were either a super on fire believer or a stone-cold antagonistic unbeliever, anything is better than being a nominal, lukewarm, merely cultural Christian. I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying. Uh, It might be true that you'd be better off having, having some reaction to Jesus, whether it's strongly positive or strongly negative, rather than having basically no reaction to Jesus whatsoever, at least People who have any kind of strong reaction to Jesus seem to be living in reality. They've encountered the real Jesus who provokes strong reactions. But, <clears throat> but I don't know that we're supposed to promote the cold response as an option. It's like, hey, just as long as you're not lukewarm, go ahead and be hardened and cold toward Jesus. It'll be better for you. Um, I'm not sure that's what he's saying. Uh, commentators offer a couple different ways of interpreting this. Many point out that Laodicea is close to two other cities. There's Hierapolis, which had hot springs, which are good for medicinal properties. And then Colossae, which had cold, refreshing mountain streams, whereas Laodicea has no good water source, and they had to pipe it in from miles away. By the time I got there, it was lukewarm and fairly disgusting. <clears throat> uh, others say that it was, it was, uh, it's a hospitality picture. It's, it's customary good hospitality to provide your guest with both hot wine and with chilled wine as options, but that lukewarm wine uh, was considered to be insultingly bad hospitality. After all, Jesus doesn't specify the liquid that's in his mouth. Uh, He doesn't say you're neither hot nor cold water. So it could be wine that he's talking about. And he brings up the dining and reception theme uh, just a few verses later. Uh, But honestly, I'm not sure about the specifics of the analogy I think a simple reading will probably suffice without us really understanding all the details of the analogy. It's obvious that either hot or cold is good for something. 
but lukewarm is good for nothing. And it makes Jesus want to throw up. Literally, that's what it means. Uh, not just spit you out of my mouth, but vomit. Um, so, so lukewarm is not a term that a Christian should want to describe his or her life. <laughs> Other ways of living as a Christian, they have their different pluses. They have their tolerable minuses. But lukewarm is dangerously bad. And the danger is that Jesus will vomit you out of his mouth if you're lukewarm. And there's, there's some sense in which the lukewarm Christian will be expelled <clears throat> from the body of Christ. That is really from the church, from the company of the saints. Uh, the church is not a place for lackadaisical, disinterested people whose encounter with Jesus basically means nothing to them. If that describes you, it's not like we're going to ask you to leave. The Lord will keep working on you. He'll keep calling you to repent. You just won't be able to stay comfortably numb here for very long. <clears throat> and if you end up ultimately leaving the church, it'll be Jesus who's the one spitting you out, actually. It'll be Jesus managing his kingdom. Because as we looked at last week, uh, Jesus is the one with the key of David. He controls the flow of traffic. He opens doors and he shuts them. He alone sovereignly closes churches or grows churches or vomits people out of churches. And here he says that he will do that if you remain lukewarm. So what does he mean by that term, lukewarm? Uh, he describes it in the very next verse, verse 17. <clears throat> he says to the messenger there, uh, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So the big problem with the Laodicean pastor, and probably a lot of people in the church there, <clears throat> was that, that he was living a life where he was being satiated by his wealth, and he was content in his self-sufficiency, and he was blind to the reality that, in fact, he was in a state of tremendous spiritual need. Um, Laodicea was a wealthy, prosperous city, uh, an example of that, uh, his, historians recorded that when, when a big earthquake hit the region and other cities petitioned the Roman Empire for help to rebuild their cities, uh, Laodicea didn't need their help. They took care of everything themselves and they rebuilt everything bigger and better than before. So it would have been an easy place for an affluent life. And the pastor there did what many of us have done in our affluence, He's enjoyed an illusion of fullness in life, uh, distracted by comforts, telling ourselves that we've provided all this fullness for ourselves, forgetting our true emptiness and our true dependence on God. So this is very common in our culture. And you know you've found someone who thinks this way when their worst fear is asking for help. Uh, when they can't bear the thought of you know, becoming a burden on others, maybe when they face financial hardship or in their old age, they can't bear the thought of becoming a burden on others. They've built an identity in their own minds as self-sufficient people, maybe even as people who have something to offer to others in need, but who have a very difficult time acknowledging their own needs. They prefer not to think or feel like they have any needs. It, it isn't just the self-sufficiency that's the problem. It's the blindness to the reality of that, the, the reality of the situation, the reality of our need for Jesus himself. That's the problem. 
<clears throat> so because he loves us, Jesus would, would pierce through that blindness. He says, you say you have everything. I say you have nothing. You say you're rich and you need nothing. I say you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And, and this is what the, the lukewarm response to that would be. Meh, I don't feel needy. <clears throat> but the faithful response would be to let Jesus' counsel to you stand and to do exactly whatever it is that he tells you to do about it. So he says, he gives his counsel in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. <clears throat> so you've got three things here, the gold, garments, and medicine. And these three items would have had particular significance in Laodicea, along with being a very wealthy city with much gold in their banks. Uh, textiles were important there. They specialized in black wool. Contrast that with the white garments, of uh, pure garments that Jesus offers. <clears throat> and they also had a prestigious uh, medical school known actually for its ophthalmology department <laughs> and the special eye salve. Uh, so Jesus is saying that, you know, that earthly wealth is not true wealth. Come to me for true wealth. That clothing will not cover you before God. You come to me for that. That I salve won't give you spiritual sight. Come to me for that. <clears throat> it isn't that worldly wealth and clothing and medicine are bad. It's just bad when we use those things to fill ourselves so that we believe we have no need to come to Jesus. <clears throat> and that's all Jesus wants is for you to come to him, not to shape up or clean up yourself or make yourself more presentable, just to come to him because you need him. And he wants that even for you, lukewarm Christian, because he loves you. He doesn't say, repent, and if you repent, maybe you'll become more lovable, and then I will love you. He says in verse 19, those whom I love... I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. <clears throat> he says, because I love you, repent. Return to me in your need. Buy what you need from me. And it's astounding that he speaks this way. <clears throat> and it's like what we heard in our call to worship from Isaiah 55. Come, you utterly bankrupt and poor, come and buy from me without price. Uh, so Dennis Johnson is a commentator on this. And he says that, <clears throat> this transaction is not a conventional purchase for those uh, for, for only those who cannot pay may partake. Everything we need must be the free gift of the beginning of God's creation. That's the way Jesus introduced himself in this letter. So <clears throat> you have your origin in the one who is the initiator of creation. You wouldn't exist apart from him. You're entirely dependent upon him. And that is the first thing that can be said about you. You are his creature and therefore you need him. And the very next thing that must be said about you is that you're also a sinner and therefore need him. You need his mercy, his grace and forgiveness and salvation. And believing that, being able to say that, being able to say, I need Jesus is far better than thinking you need nothing. It's far better than being reluctant 
to admit your dependence, uh, being reluctant to ask for help. It's far better than self-sufficiency and being stuffed full of stuff. Because if you say, I need Jesus, then you get Jesus. He tells you to come to him with your utterly empty hands and he will fill them with himself, the greatest and richest of all treasures. He tells you to trust him, to entrust your very being with your very relationship with God to him, and he will clothe you with his own righteousness and glory. He tells you to come to him blind as you are, even to your own plight, and he will restore your sight so that you can see him and fix your gaze upon him as your savior. So do you think you're going to be okay as long as you've got some food in your cupboards? Might be relevant at a time like this. Um, Come to Jesus for true nourishment and sustenance and life. Do you breathe a sigh of relief that you've got a few weeks supply of toilet paper in the closet? Um, Come to Jesus and he will eternally wash away the stains in your soul. Are you glad that you won't feel disconnected from the world as long as you've got the internet for news and video conferencing? Uh, Come to Jesus and receive the free gift of prayer to his Father in his name, day or night, for the rest of your life, complete connectedness to God. Jesus loves you. His desire is for you to come to him because you need him. So he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So this reminds us of the, uh, the eager anticipation and the expectancy that we find in the Song of Songs, the bride awaiting the bridegroom. Can you imagine having a fiancé who is just uninterested in you, who's bored with you and unresponsive toward you? Well, that's how Jesus sees a lukewarm Christian. Jesus is calling you to return to him, to be zealously interested in him, to be delightedly dependent on him, to be eager to receive him. Again, it's like the servants awaiting their master, as Jesus talked about it in the gospel, that uh, the gospel reading that Sarah read from Luke 12. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. and Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed, happy are those servants whom the master finds awake When he comes, truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch late, late at night and he finds them awake and ready and anticipating him, blessed are those servants. So when Jesus stands at the door and knocks in our passage, he isn't just a poor soul left outside, unsheltered and worried. Uh, He's the master and he is coming in. And if you hear his voice, then you should thrill to it and open to him, and he will come bringing his festival joy with him, and he will share his own table with you, and he'll serve you. It says in verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So we see God's intentions here toward humanity, his intentions toward us fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus to God's own throne with such a savior who could be indifferent and unaffected, who could be bored with the one who speaks this way to his people, who could be lukewarm toward him and have no reaction to him, who could hear the words of Jesus 
and say, yep, I'm full, I'm satisfied, I've got everything I need, thanks. Who could hear the Lord Jesus make this glorious promise that he will share the very throne of God with you and just say, meh. He loves you, so be zealous and repent and come to him and let him be everything to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not left us in the dark, that uh, you've sent your son into the world so that, that you would be with us and that we would be with you, that we would know you as you truly are, that we would be called to to turn away from our sin and turn back to you, to return to you in repentance. Uh, These things are uh, very difficult for us to hear sometimes. Even if we've been Christians for a long time, it can be easy for us to ignore or suppress the knowledge of our great need for you, our constant need, our desperate need for you. But we pray that we would never get over our need for you, that we would be perfectly willing and happy to admit our need for you, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts and, uh, and again, make us vulnerable and knowing and ready to confess our need for you, who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel. Because we know that when we do, when we, when we come to you, you'll give yourself to us fully, without reservation and eternally. And this is good news. This is the good news that we uh, love. This is why we became Christians in the first place. We pray that you would keep us in uh, this, um, this same state of knowing our need for you and being fully satisfied in you alone, anticipating your presence with us, anticipating your return to us to make all things new and uh, fulfill all our desires in yourself. Uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>